you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl this Monday afternoon on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody is having a fantastic start to their week as we are hopping back in the studio lance i appreciate you hopping on the show for me today levi not not feeling great he's doing just fine out there but we we're giving him the day off how you doing today my man i'm doing fantastic very happy to be here and very happy to talk some sports with you there we go and the number to call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 if you want to come and talk sports with the insane guys in the studio and let's kick it off here with the news that broke about an hour and a half two hours ago Auburn football they've they've got the recruiting trail heating up for them a little bit a couple of days going into signing day and this this is as expected you would expect this to happen for a team that doesn't have a whole lot of a, a whole lot of commitments in their 2021 class but the guy that we're about to talk about is a part of the 2022 class we'll get to some of the other guys that are a little, little bit more recent to, in terms of recruiting classes are concerned 2021 offensive tackle joined this class um, deciding not to go to the place where they're giving money in mcdonald's bags and uh then we've got a quarterback now though to talk about auburn football taking in the commitment of 2022 quarterback holden we're gonna go with jariner i'm not sure yet how to pronounce the last name could be Gariner, but we're gonna go with 2022 quarterback holden jariner a three-star only a three-star out of benedictine military school out of savannah georgia is his hometown once again 2022 quarterback according to 24 7 sports composite he's the number 29 pro style quarterback in the 2022 class he's a three-star ranked 565th nationally among recruits 45th best player in georgia a lot of people are excited about this because everybody gets excited about a quarterback joining a class I wouldn't be completely thrown off by the fact that he's only a three-star he's got time to climb the rankings there's still another full year and with the course of the pandemic and whatnot I think it's affected a little bit the way that we evaluate certain recruits and being able to get out there and see recruits this is a guy that I think we could see climb the rankings over time I'm not sure if he'll add that fourth star but I think that this commitment adds a lot of indicators moving forward of what Auburn will be looking to recruit at the quarterback position pro style is a big tag right there that I don't think we've seen too many times Auburn recruiting at quarterback right right you talk about pro style quarterbacks and then you have a guy that's already on roster in Demetrius Davis that stuck with Auburn through this coaching staff change and I'm really happy that Bobo re-offered this kid I think it's what we're gonna like you said what we're gonna expect moving forward I'm really really curious to see how that quarterback battle kind of pans out if Holden and Davis continue to stay after Bo Nix leaves you know what is Harson looking for necessarily in this offense is he gonna go with a more mobile guy in Demetrius Davis we know that the size issues that he has 
has, but he's very mobile, very athletic, or is he going to go with a more pocket passer guy in Holden? We were talking before we got on air. I was watching some of his tape earlier today, and he really seems kind of like a Philip Rivers kind of guy. He's got that kind of sidearm motion. I, I feel like this guy's really got a chance to, to be something special in college. I feel like he can really sling it. But it's going to be interesting to see how Harson moves forward with a guy like this. It obviously shows if you're going to if you're going to re-offer a kid like this, you're going to continue to show interest. Auburn's going to want to go more pro style in the future, and that's something that Auburn fans aren't used to. We're not used to seeing Auburn run more traditional pro style offenses. We're used to seeing spread. We're used to seeing a mobile quarterback, and, and it's really going to change the direction of this program. And I would just like to caution Auburn fans: don't panic that we're not getting an athletic running quarterback. Just, just take it as it comes. Like Harson said, we're gonna try. We're gonna try and do our best day one. We're gonna try and try and go out there and compete. So let's just see. Let's just see how this works out with with all these different changes. And don't panic because you're we're getting something that we're not used to. Well, I think the offense is is going to change dramatically. I, I think this is the mold of quarterback we're going to see moving forward. And I've gone on the record already and saying that I'm not so sure if Demetrius Davis is going to end up taking a starting snap at Auburn as a quarterback because I believe that Bo Nix has two more years in orange and blue at least at least of course he could go up to three more years based off of the eligibility rule changes that have occurred because of the coronavirus pandemic but I believe he's got two more years in college more than likely and then that would put this with with Jariner what would he be he would be a he would be going into his freshman year right and you'd be trying to see you'd be looking at a, a position group battle between Jariner and Demetrius Davis and Davis would be a sophomore at the time but I'm not so sure that after one season on the Plains, Davis will be leaps and bounds ahead of this guy as a freshman, as a passer. And I know that may sound like a knock on Davis, but there's a reason why Auburn went out and got this type of quarterback. They didn't just go and try and go and land a dual threat guy. They went after a very specific quarterback to bring into their program. And I believe it really will be pro style moving forward. Look at the guys who got recruited to Georgia. Look at the guys who got recruited to South Carolina to play for Mike Bobo. They, they're not statues, but they are your pocket passer, your pro-style quarterbacks that are, that are pass first. They're your Sean Whites. They're your Jarrett Stidhams. I don't know how Jarrett Stidham was listed as a dual-threat quarterback. That guy's sure <laughs> fine. He can move. But just because someone can move and they're not an absolute statue, maybe we should have like a statue quarterback for guys like – there, there's pro style where they're at least a little bit mobile and then there's dual threat where they can actually run and then there is statue where it's just he's just a passer that's it can't move slow as molasses that's right you know those are your matthew staffords those are your aaron murrays those are, those guys cannot move and jared stidham and sean white were not statues they were pro style quarterbacks though they were pass first stand in the pocket pro style quarterbacks and this guy you look at his height and weight six foot three two ten that's fitting the mold baby that is a prototypical quarterback size when was the last time we see we have seen a prototypical body for a quarterback sean white was undersized jared stidham to a to a degree undersized as well especially when you're when you're considering height into that equation i I would say weight as well yeah jared stidham was an undersized quarterback nick marshall undersized Bo Nix, undersized. There now you're at least getting closer to the mold of a guy who can see over his offensive lineman. And I'm not saying that that's been a problem for Auburn through these years, but this guy's definitely closer to the picture portrait 
image of a quarterback as far as height and weight is concerned. And you got to be thinking about what are the pieces going to look like around him and how is this offense going to flow? And you look at the receivers that Auburn has right now. I don't believe Auburn has like that breakaway speed, Anthony Schwartz, Darius Slayton, take the top off the defense kind of guy. And so you start to shift towards more of a, a, a short to mid-pass oriented offense and you're going to get guys like Capers and Hudson going. And if that, those guys manage to stick around up until Holden's here, we're, I, I definitely believe, like you mentioned, Davis is not going to see the field at Auburn. I don't believe that happens. I believe a kid like this is going to step in. He's going to be a better scheme fit, and he's going to fit the offense that Harson wants to run. And I think we're going to see a dramatic change. Or dramatic change. <laughs> dramatic. Wow, I'm on top of it today. We're going to see a dramatic change in what we feel is normal and what we feel is comfortable as Auburn fans. And it's not going to be the same recipe to, to have a successful offense. We don't, we're not going to need a dual-threat quarterback and a guy like Davis. We're going to need a guy that can spread the ball around and, and get a, a more pass-oriented offense going. That is the word of the day. The word of the week. I don't know. I need to start a word of the day segment. Dramastic. Dramastic. Somebody write that is, it down. That is, that is epic. Dramatic and drastic together. I'm assuming that's what you are mixing together. Dramastic. I'm here for it. That's great. I love that. I'm going to use that from now on. That's solid. You need to trademark that. That needs to be your thing. I, I encourage you to go and make a t-shirt that, that has the word dramastic, dramastic. on it. Awesome. And big. It's a white t-shirt, just a standard white tee with big bold black letters that say dramatic <laughs> in quotes and then a dash underneath that that says jaws, jaws. <laughs> that would be good that would be really good yeah i think you're spot on with that now i don't know if jariner comes in year one and is ready to start star ratings are a great indicator the college football mind that i really love looking up to and reading his stuff is phil Steele. i get the phil Steele magazine every year of course if you're not then you're probably you're probably not enjoying preseason football the right way you know and he you know a big part of his rankings on players and when you go and look at the depth chart it talks about you know it has a phil Steele ranking and those guys were graded coming out of high school by him you know by you know certain metrics that he uses i think he averages the recruiting services together and whatnot and then ranks the players his his point is there are some guys that are ready to start more so than others and typically the star ratings of a recruit in a recruiting service are a good indicator of whether or not they're ready to go and three stars are not typically ready to go year one trajectory wise for the Auburn quarterback position two years from now say Bo Nix is off to the NFL say he's no longer with the Auburn Tigers I can see Auburn going into the transfer portal right just to to find some guy one year you know one hit wonder one year just to tie over the position and i know a lot of auburn folks want to get away from the transfer portal they want to get away from having juco's that was a common criticism of gus malzahn because it felt like auburn was never building depth they were always you know they were always felt like they were a year behind or two years behind in recruiting certain positions but this one might actually be you know just looking at the transition from a certain play style at quarterback and a certain scheme Auburn may have to make that adjustment if this kid's not ready to start year one and I would be willing to bet he is probably not ready to start year one and Auburn folks should probably not want him to start year one because who wants to break in a three-star freshman quarterback nothing against the kid he may be he may be 
a huge gem. He may be a huge diamond in the rough. I mean, you brought up Phillip Rivers, and I thought that was very insightful because I haven't thought about Phillip Rivers whatsoever. Phillip Rivers was not recruited by Auburn or Alabama. He wasn't. Guy was a three-star. You know, he was lower, lower rated, was not seen as a high-end prospect in the state of Alabama. And guess what? He ends up having a, you know, a very long NFL career. I don't even know how long it is. It's like a 17-year career or something like that. Am I right in saying that? I believe it's over 20 years, actually. I may, I may need to look that up. Get, if you can find that for me. I mean, he, he, had a, he had a super long NFL career. He is a beloved NFL figure. He was a talented quarterback in the league. The, he's, I would say he's a Hall of Famer when you look at how long he's been in the, in the stats that he's compiled. Phillip Rivers is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day, and he wasn't even recruited in his own state. He wasn't even recruited in his own state. And so at least I'm, I, I don't turn my nose at three stars if this coaching staff is good at development and is evaluating something beyond what you know the average football fan would see. Maybe they see something in the guy that's developable and that can, you know, that will that's jumping off the pages and that this guy could really be a diamond in the rough and could, you know, explode onto the seam for Auburn. But I'll tell you, looking at the height and weight and the frame, and he will get larger when he gets onto campus. I'm in love with the with at least the the measurements there. I'm in love with the fact that he's six three, two ten because that's going to be a good sign for Auburn moving forward that they're beginning to recruit guys that are a little bit more durable you know this isn't Sean White scampering around and possibly you know breaking his arm you know and that's not an exaggeration the guy played with a hurt arm you know like this is he's 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 built he's built like a quarterback another reason why Sean White's the greatest Auburn quarterback of all time dude was balling with a broken arm yes well you have a hot take there and I'm and I'm I'm actually there with you you know a lot you know I, I don't know if we want to go there or not but we'll go there we're, we're going down right now but we'll, we'll do this so you I know you're joking when you say this but I'm with you on this specific statement I think Bo Nix and Sean White, I think Sean White's every bit as, as good of a passer as Bo Nix is right now. Like, if we're comparing him to, to a former Auburn quarterback and like trying to stack him up during the Gus Malzahn tenure, I think Sean White was every bit as good of a passer as Bo Nix. And like, I've gone and done the stats adjusting completions, adjusting yards, adjusting touchdowns and interceptions based off of completion percentage for the two quarterbacks. Sean White ends up with like, if you adjust it for, um, if you adjust it for completion percentage to his to Bo Nix's attempts, because he's got like more than three hundred attempts right. on Sean White, then he ends up having like over a thousand more yards, the same touchdowns, and like only a couple more interceptions. White led the SEC in completion percentage in twenty sixteen. We got a caller on the line, and we will get to that call on the other side of this break. Stay with us; we'll be back in just a moment. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Daw, former intern Jaws on the show with us today. Chomp, chomp. Let's go. Let's go. That's right. <laughs> we'll get back to that Sean White hot take in a few seconds. But right now we've got a caller on the line. Who's talking to us today? This is Joe. Well, how you doing today, Chalk? Doing well, man. How y'all doing? We're doing great. What's on your mind today? Well, look, I, I've been listening to y'all for a couple of, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks now. And in this process, I mean, when y'all was talking about the quarterback, y'all was talking, first it was about Gunner Stockton. Gunner Stockton, number one, dual-threat quarterback. 
is going to commit to Auburn, and, and if he did commit to Auburn, you were saying that uh, Davis wasn't going to play a snap. Right. Now, I hear you talking about this kid who's a three-star that commits to Auburn and who's a pro-style quarterback, and you're saying he's not going to take a snap? With, right. With Auburn's commit. Now, look, it, this is a kid that's stuck to his commitment to Auburn regardless of what happened, you know, with the coaching staff. He has wrote plenty of records down there in Texas on the, on the high school level. So what makes you think that he's not good enough to take a snap at all? Well, I don't think he's not good enough. I feel like he's not a scheme fit. I feel like regardless of whether or not Auburn held a commitment to him, they, they, they held a commitment to this kid as well. Uh, Mike Bobo re-offered this kid, uh, this pro-style kid, to come play. So I don't necessarily think he's bad. I think he's a fantastic quarterback. I feel like in a Gus Malzahn offense, he would thrive. Probably I just would feel, have played. Probably would have played a lot more. I just feel like the way that Harson directed his offenses at Boise State, there's more of an inclination to say, okay, this six foot three, 215 pounds, pro style quarterback is probably going to take a lot more snap snaps than Davis now we don't know whether or not that's going to happen it's just based off the information that we see it feels like it's more likely for a pro style guy to get more reps than a dual threat quarterback I mean but what information you see that makes you think he can't adjust to to playing a pro style uh 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 what, I mean, what, what are you basing that off of? He very well could. I mean, you go back, and there's not a whole lot of high school film out there on Demetrius Davis, but the very little bit that you can go and find online, he does not appear to be as polished of a passer. And the fact that Auburn decided to go out, and of course, a lot of programs will go out and try and at least bring one quarterback in every single recruiting cycle, and they should because you want to build depth at the position. But it definitely seems that there's a certain framework that Auburn's trying to fit into at quarterback and uh you know Gunnar Stockton may have been listed as a dual threat quarterback I'll be honest with you he's like a Jarrett Stidham type probably shouldn't have been listed as a dual threat quarterback he's definitely pass first I don't understand some of how these recruiting services you know evaluate quarterbacks based off of a certain style because like Jared Stidham was listed as a dual threat quarterback we all know Jared Stidham wasn't a dual threat quarterback and so I I think when you talk about Demetrius Davis I think you see a little bit more run first and Malik Willis you know and I'm about to compare it to Malik Willis as a recruit coming to Auburn Malik Willis was definitely more of a run first guy and for some reason Gus Malzahn didn't want to tap into that he didn't want to tap into he, he kept for some reason wanting to recruit you know pass first guys like Jared Stidham's your Sean White's your Bo Nix's he, he wanted to do that and it obviously ended up being his demise I mean I think Malik Willis could have worked out at Auburn I just think that you're seeing scheme fits not being you know scheme fits could be something that could hold up you know a, a kid getting onto the field yeah, but yeah, I understand that. But you also you listen to to Brian Harson uh, comments about what the offense is going to be like. He basically said that they was going to get together and say and 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 develop it around the players that they have. Now, you know, I'm I'm just trying to defend the kid because I hear y'all just tearing him down like he just ain't ain't no good. Oh no, he's not. He's not any good. I mean, we've we've had segments before where we've we've talked about him winning the touchdown club of Houston, winning offensive player of the year out there in Houston. The guy's good. He's talented. He's talented. I just don't know if he's going to. I, I don't know if he's going to end up being a starter at Auburn. Looking at the trajectory of the quarterback position, I mean, Malik Willis 
was as talented as they came at quarterback in college football this past year he didn't work out at Auburn I don't know if you know and he worked out at Liberty I mean there's been plenty of examples of quarterbacks that had to get a change of scenery for for yeah, it to work we out all know, we all know why he didn't work out I mean how many times did it have to be that this man uh, uh, tore down the careers of these young men? Sure. And it, it, it was it was countless times. So, you know, even Lamar Jackson wanted to come to Auburn. That's right. So, I mean, it, I don't know. Quarterback just, development was an issue. Careful. Yeah, y'all be careful with bashing the man. The man, you know, he he stuck to the commitment. Let's see what he's going to do. Sure. Sure. No, you're you're not wrong about that whatsoever. And and honestly, uh, kids should be praised these days for sticking to their commitment when so many of them don't. I mean, right. you you've we've seen a ton of guys transfer out of the program at Auburn. We saw several guys decommit from Auburn even before Malzahn was fired. So I definitely think there is something to be said about a guy sticking to his commitment. There's there's nothing wrong about that. All right, man. Y'all take care. Appreciate it, Chalk. Thanks for uh, hopping on the phone line with us. Never be a stranger. Be sure to call back. Once again, the number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the line today. I think there's some things to unpack there with that call, and I, I think it's a, I think it's something that we should address in case some people out there are thinking that we're tearing down a recruit. I don't think that's what we're doing. I think a lot of what we're just saying is that the scheme's changing at Auburn, and I think what Jariner or Gariner it, it, I think what he's going to bring to the table is a lot more of what Auburn is looking to recruit. And right now, Demetrius Davis is not in a position to start at Auburn. Bo Nix has created a jam right there at quarterback for the next two years, I would assume. And then, of course, they're going to they're gonna fit the offense now to what is on the roster. But two years from now, there's new recruits in, and they're going to build around what recruits they're bringing in. This guy's a part of the new wave. This is one of the first guys that Auburn has gotten as a recruit. They're building around guys like this, not guys that Gus Malzahn recruited. So I think that's the big difference there. It is something to be said about Demetrius Davis holding on to his recruitment. That's a great thing, uh, but it doesn't mean that it always works out. I mean, look at Joey Gatewood. Joey Gatewood seemed to have been committed for an eternity. He ended up transferring mid-year through a through a through a through a season and so and I understand Gus Malzahn wasn't the great develop wasn't the great developer of quarterbacks you know and there's and you know you never know it, it could end up working out under Mike Bobo that he ends up making a scheme swap for Demetrius Davis but I just think that when you look at Auburn bringing in the recruits that Auburn is about to be bringing in from henceforth I think you're going to play a little bit bigger of a role than maybe some of the guys that Malzahn recruited because this coaching staff is going to have their own take on guys that they want to fill out their roster with moving forward and it definitely appears to be different than what Malzahn wanted to bring forward I mean there's massive scheme changes happening on both sides of the ball but we got another caller on the line we got Steve on the line with us Steve how are you doing today fine how are y'all we're doing great how are you doing good Philip Rivers was actually offered a chance to play tight end at Auburn right Tuberville wanted him to come play tight end I don't know they offered offered him a scholarship, but Tubbs wasn't going to let him play quarterback. So that's, that's a brilliant move right there. Um, <laughs> but um, I I agree with y'all on on the quarterback change, but I think the biggest thing that's going to happen that's going to improve the quarterback position is there's going to be competition. And, you know, quarterback is a, is a position of, of finesse and footwork and repetitive doing the right thing over and over again and you have to be driven to do that. You have to be driven by competition. And 
I saw Mac Jones on some show this year, and I don't care the least bit about Alabama football, but they asked him a question about being challenged by a freshman All-American or whatever, and, and his response was, that doesn't bother me. I'm challenged, and I compete every day and practice for my job because I know he'll play the other guy. The, the biggest symbol, the biggest message that Saban ever sent was when he pulled the guy at the national championship game and played Tua. Right. He said winning's more important than any one player. And we have not had that at Auburn in numerous positions. We played a couple mascots and a couple favorites. And I do believe Harson's trying to set up a situation where you earn your position every day in practice. You better be good in practice because if not, there's a guy behind you. And to do that, you can't just set a system up to one guy. It's got to be a system you can plug people into. And, um, you know, and you got to have more than one guy. You can't say, like right now, listen, we, you know, the only quarterback we have on the roster is Bonehead. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's it. And I, and I like the fact that there's – the word I think that really encapsulates what you're saying is accountability. I like the fact that accountability is being brought to the roster because so many times, you know, and, and there's a program that I really like to watch out there, and it's Iowa State. And following what is being done out there, and you watch one of their football games – they don't drop wide open passes. They don't make the 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 simple mistakes in a football game. They they preach doing things the right way, and I and I think what you're hitting on right now, and I completely agree with it, is Auburn's bringing that new culture and a hard nosed culture where you better bring your lunch pail, you better be ready to work, you better do things the right way, and if you don't, there's somebody behind you who will. And also, there's the fact that we'll take you out of a game if 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 you do something. You know, listen, I'm a bonex fan. I think I think this coaching change is going to be good for him. I think they're going to harness his footwork and say, guys, you know, you know, you're going to move forward in the pocket because if you don't, you're not going to play. But some of the outbursts on the sidelines, some of that stuff, wide fire, whatever, he can get away with that because there's nobody behind it to put in. Right. And and you've got to have that threat. And if you know there's nobody good enough behind you to put in, it also gives you more leeway. To be immature, right? If sure. you're fighting every, if you're fighting every day for your position, you better know you better toe the line and be a good teammate. And that's the culture we really got to change. Completely agree. And Steve, we are we are up next to a break, so we're going to have to let you go. We appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Once again, the number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. And uh, we've got another caller on the line. We'll get to him on the other side of this break. Trill, stay on the line with us. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl. Jaws in the house. Yes, sir. That's right. Now on the line with us, we got another caller filling up the phone lines today. That's what I'm talking about. Keep it coming. The number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. We got Trill on the line. Trill, how you doing today? I'm doing good. How y'all doing? We're doing great. Great, great. Um, yeah, Trill, I'm over here down in Greenboro, Alabama. Uh, I, just, I just worry about Harson, guys. Look, the reason I'm calling in, I'm first time, been, well, been listening, first time caller, whatever. But I just read an article the other day about the top 
three stars to ever come through Alabama under Nick Saban air. And I bring this up because I'm worried about Brian Harson, this quarterback he got coming in, this Juco linebacker he got coming in. They all three stars. Look, Nick Saban's brought in Anthony Steen, Chance Warmack, Josh Jacobs. I mean, these are household names that everybody in the country knows, and they have developed under Nick Saban. Is Harson going to develop these guys? I want some of these three stars to develop under Harson. I'm just, I'm just, I've been trying to be positive, but you know how these people are on, on these message boards. I'm, I'm just nervous about what Harson's going to do. <laughs> yes, I know how people are on the message boards. They definitely that that's like wandering out to the negative, to some of the most negative places out on the planet. You know, I'll say this about, um, you know, you're gonna, I'll be real. I, I think that people should be, um. I think people should be reserved about what's going to happen on signing day on Wednesday. I don't think that Auburn's going to come away with a with a sexy recruiting class on Wednesday. Of course, this coaching staff is going to do their best job to sell what they've got. They're going to do their best job to sell the the commitments that they get in this in the signatures that they get on Wednesday. But you know they're they're playing an uphill battle. Not only did this coaching staff get a later start on recruiting because of when they were hired, and then also you know hiring out the rest of their position coaches, but. Auburn's it's easy to to negative recruit Auburn like Alabama and, and Georgia and all them can talk you know can kind of downplay Auburn all they want right now because of how this year ended and the fact that they're going through a coaching change so this year's going to be a tough year for Auburn as far as recruiting is concerned moving forward though what this first sample this first sample size this first year uh, a full year of recruiting for Harson is fair game to judge but this one I you know I just kind of this is this is Malzahn's recruiting class not Harson's in my opinion Right, right. I, I I feel y'all on that. I just I'm 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 just trying to figure out. It shouldn't be hard to recruit guys to Auburn to to to, to the family. I I don't know. I, I feel like we got a three star coach who's going to be bringing in three star players, and I'm 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 sick of losing the same every year. I want to get Auburn back to the top of the SEC, back to national prominence where they belong. And I I I believe in Auburn, and and I believe that Harson and hopefully those guys didn't get there to do that. So. Um, I'm I'm hang up. I'm gonna let you guys get back to it, but I appreciate you guys letting me in here. Appreciate it, Trill. Hey, don't be a stranger. Be sure to call back. Know your first time caller today. Come on back. Sure, we'll do. Thank y'all. Once again, the number to call three three four three two one thirteen ninety or toll free at eight 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 three eight two seventy five oh two. Something else that I want to add about Hartson, though, while there are drawbacks, and l- let's just be honest, there's going to be drawbacks with any hire that you make, unless you're hiring the most elite coaches in college football. And Auburn's not in the market for those guys because those guys are already at elite locations. They're not going to go to Auburn. Let's just be real. Urban Meyer was not coming to Auburn. But this is the most experienced coach we've seen Auburn hire since even before Pat Dye. Like maybe even ever. I haven't gone and done the research since beyond Pat Dye. But since Pat Dye, at least, this is the most experienced coach that Auburn has ever hired in modern Auburn football history and I think Auburn fans would counter that with well he's never had a chance to coach in the SEC but again you got to be able to take some positives away from what's going on he's establishing a culture and I feel like people are going to have to gather and rally around that in order for us to be able to get these four or five star guys you got to be able to 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 uh, to agree with what's going on you got to be able to change what you believe the mold should be in your mind because we've seen for for six or seven years now what Malzahn has tried to do and now it's now it's a new regime you got to be able to adjust to it and let's just see what happens let's just stay positive and let's just see how recruiting works out because we saw him go out and get some guys that know how to recruit in the SEC he got some SEC names he got Derek Mason Will Friend Mike Bobo he's obviously trying to establish himself in this part of the country so let's just see what happens let's see how it works out 
And the other thing about this is, I mean, you know, I can I can list off a ton of names that were not received well when they were first hired. Clemson fans were irate when Dabo Sweeney was hired. I mean, he wasn't even a coordinator when he was hired. They hired him as a position coach. Clemson fans were irate. And look, Dabo Sweeney's a top, I would say a top two head coach. When it comes to X's and O's, give me Dabo Sweeney in college football all day long. When it comes to recruiting and program building, give me Nick Saban all day long. But as far as X's and O's are concerned, Dabo Sweeney is the best head coach in college football right now. And but as far as just best overall head coach, I will say you know Nick Saban did just win you know his seventh national championship or whatever it is. So like yes, he is the be- the greatest head coach to have ever coached in the game. But I will say as far as X's and O's, give me what Dabo Sweeney can do with his program and just tactically and strategically and what he's been able to do. I I, I value that more. It's like Bruce Pearl. I'm not going to sit here and say that I think Bruce Pearl is an elite X's and O's guys in the span of a game. He doesn't have to be. He's an elite program builder. He's an elite recruiter. He's an elite culture guy. That's why his programs have the best players. There are plenty of other coaches who have starts that came from, you know, unknown places. Bruce Pearl's even a great example for that. The guy was coaching in Milwaukee before he went to Tennessee. He, he came from nowhere. I don't know how Tennessee fans felt about that because that was a long time ago, but he obviously worked out at Tennessee. Nate Oates at Bama right now. The guy came from Buffalo. Alabama fans were pretty split about Nate Oates coming in. He came from Buffalo. Like, if Auburn hired someone from Buffalo, Auburn fans are like, oh, we just hired somebody from Buffalo. Like, I, I, I value the fact that Auburn went out and got somebody with experience for the first time. I mean, Gene Chizik had been a coach for two years. Right. Gus Malzahn had been a head coach for one year. He's a high school coach. Pat Dye came from Wyoming, guys. He was at Wyoming. It doesn't get more Mountain West than Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> and look, guys, it's so hard to compare Auburn to what uh, what's going on with the SEC's elite. It's so hard to compare Brian Harson to Nick Saban and the, the, the what Harson has stepped into. we got to be able to just look at this situation optimistically and think that Harson can develop into a Nick Saban type of guy. And the list just goes on. I can keep thinking of guy after guy after guy. I mean, at one point, Nick Saban was at, was it was he at Toledo before he went to Michigan State? I mean, right. at one point, Nick Saban was at Toledo. I mean, everybody starts. Brian Harson just had the, the four, if anything, you could say that Brian Harson had the, the fortunate ability to start as a, at a program as established as Boise State. You know, Nick Saban had to start at Toledo. Like I said, Bruce Pearl was at Milwaukee. Nate Oates was at Buffalo. There are countless examples of coaches, you know, not coming from an established location and ending up succeeding. And a lot of that's culture and being able to, you know, if you can coach football, you can coach football. Of course, there are levels where it is easier than others. In the Mountain West, it is easier. And so it's fair for if you're going to find anything to criticize the hire for, you didn't bring in a guy that has any experience in the Southeast, fine. Like, that is a negative here. That is a con. But there are a lot of pros that we can't ignore either. And I think that's the case for a lot of the coaches that have been hired on his staff. There are many pros. There are, I think, I think there are more pros than there are cons for the guys that are being brought in. And, and just give them a chance. Now, I would say this year, and we've gotten a question a long time ago, and I can't remember who asked us this question a couple of weeks ago on On the Line. We had a caller ask us a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, how long should folks – give this or how long do we think guys or not guys will fans give brian harson and this new staff before they get impatient and i say well how long i think they should versus how long they right. actually will is a completely different question how long i think they will of course people are going to be impatient after this year, year if one. things don't go great but 
and, and, and I don't know, you know, what everybody's version of great is in their mind because I think there are some people who have too lofty of expectations. But people need to re- reserve judgments until you know you're you're getting into year three. You know, I understand if something abysmal has occurred after year two beginning to have you know to have concerns if something abysmal occurs after year two fine but you got to give the guy some time because he's trying to he's trying to overhaul this thing it's changing as you said earlier in the show lance dramatic changes <laughs> are happening in the auburn football program we'll be back on the other side of this break you're listening to on the line on the line on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl. Maybe I should call you Lance Jaws Dahl. Or is that too much? Is I don't know. I, I kind of like Jaws. I just kind of like just straight up Jaws. All right. Well, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Well, they can follow me on Twitter at Intern Jaws, actually. And I've got a beautiful profile picture if you want to go check it out, see what it is. Beautiful. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. It's definitely one of my better photoshops for sure. The idea was was birthed from a tweet that I had, so I I fully endorse what <laughs> your your profile picture. It's hype. I no, like it. No spoilers though. You got to go check it out. <laughs> That's at right. Intern Jaws. And you can find me on Twitter at Point Gardner. Thank you for joining in on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we get to our last segment of the first hour, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Monday means a new Bachelor episode on ABC at 7. This could be true for pretty much any Bachelor episode, but things are getting pretty toxic in the house. A lot of us wish we could go back to college. These guys go back, but only for the fun. Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn, and Will Ferrell star in Old School on Paramount at 8.30. Monday's college basketball schedule begins with an ACC clash between Duke and Miami at 6 on ESPN at the 8 p.m. time slot. We have two games starting with a top 25 clash between number 24 Oklahoma and number 10 Texas Tech. Over on ESPN2, South Carolina State is at North Carolina Central. One NBA game is on television tonight with Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns at Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks at 7.30 on NBA TV. The NHL is in full swing and the Pittsburgh Penguins take on the New York Rangers on NBCSN at 6. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner in Jaws in the studio today with you. Number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. We appreciate each and every one of our first-hour callers. It has been a hype show today. Keep the phone lines rolling. But I want to go back now that we've got some time. I want to go back to something that you and I were talking about at the end of the first segment we just got into it just a little bit. We dipped our toes in the water. You and I both think, talking about quarterbacks and ranking Bo Nix amongst former Auburn quarterbacks, at least in the last 10 years, or really just in the Gus Malzahn tenure, that is, Sean White, every bit as good of a passer as Bo Nix was. Jared Stidham, better passer than both of them. Jeremy Johnson at the bottom of the list. Are we leaving anybody off? I don't think so. I think Sean White really ranks at the top of that list. Well, no, Jared Stidham, and then Sean White, and then Bo Nix, and then I would say Jeremy Johnson. I would say that would be my four quarterbacks. I would say as far as passing ability is yeah, concerned. Okay. As far as passing ability goes, yeah, I would say Stidham, White, Nix, Johnson, 
And then Bo Nix, though, if we're taking total overall ability into account, Bo Nix's running ability is quite fantastic. Well, I think you have to also think about the offense that they were running around and how efficient they were. I feel like Sean White was definitely more of an efficient player. I feel like Bo Nix has not been able to really develop these past two years under the offense. And I was really liking what I saw from Sean White in year two in 2016. And I, I'm a standby. I don't think this is a hot take. I just think this is a fact. I think that Sean White was a better quarterback than Bo Nix was or will be. Now, we may see him, we may see Nix develop heading into year three. We may see his numbers. Someone get a drop boost. a beat right now. This man's, this, this man's <laughs> dropping some lines right now. But just based off like mechanics, and Sean White didn't have the best mechanics, but just based off mechanics, we've seen Bo Nix make too many mistakes time and time again, especially mentally, just rolling out of the pocket before he needs to. Sean White never did that. Sean White was a baller. He'd stand in there and throw one to Ricardo Lewis on a post route. Even at his health's detriment. Even at his health's detriment. Dude was, this was man gave his arm. arm. This man gave his arm to the football team, to the cause. Is Bo Nix physically more gifted than Sean White? Yes. Yes. Is Sean White mentally a better college football player? Yes. In the window that we had. Now, granted, we only had two years of Sean White, or really like a year and a half. And if you compare the stats, Bo Nix already has 300 more pass attempts or over 300 pass attempts more than Sean White did. If you adjust for completion percentage to the same amount of attempts, Sean White ends up with over 1,000 more yards, about the same amount of touchdowns. I actually think the exact same amount of touchdowns, and then only like three more interceptions. So sure, take it or leave on the interceptions part, but I'll tell you, it's that, that spoke volumes to me when I did that math, and I adjusted it for completion percentage. So the averages stayed the same. The metrics stayed the same that way. You're right. Sean White was a pretty efficient player in his small sample size that we had, and he was playing in offenses that had less talent. He didn't have Seth Williams to bail him out. Let's think about this, though, real quick. Who would win, Sean White and his offense or Bo Nix and his offense? If the two 2016 and 2020 Auburn teams played against each other, who would win that game? See, I don't know if that's fair, though, because the 2020 Auburn defense is horrendous compared to the 2016 Auburn defense. It was much better than I think Bo Nix actually really does struggle against that Auburn defense. Cameron Petway, on the other hand, has an absolute field day against he has an absolute field day against the nickel Auburn defense of 2020 that gives up, you know, 300 rushing yards to Texas A&M. So, I don't know if that's a fair comparison, but I definitely think when you talk about Sean White versus Bo Nix, a, a more efficient player, 100%. We got a caller on the line. We've got Shane joining us once again. Shane, we got about two minutes till we're up at the end of the at the end of our number one. So, what you got on your mind? I'll be I'll be I'll be quick. Sean White should not be in the, any of these conversations, uh, to, to be honest. And um, just looking into the future, if if Harson can just change a little bit. Then, then the dramaticity at Auburn could be so dramatically <laughs> dramaticer than it has been in, in a long time, you know. So I'm hopeful, and uh, I'm just going to give it a little time. I'm going to give him about a year and see how this goes this year, and then, then we can make our judgments following year and expectations after that. So, well, Shane, while anyway. we've got you on the line, because we, yeah. we still have about a minute left, and so I, I want to hear just your thought. I love the use, A, of dramatic, but second, <laughs> I want to know, why Why no Sean White in these discussions? I just When I think of, of efficient quarterbacks, he, he just doesn't pop in my head. Sure. Sean, Sean White was um, a good little scamper, you know, but uh, 
great quarterbacks at Auburn. I just he doesn't top that list for me. Um, if, if are, we, are we talking about Gus Malzahn era? Yes, just Gus Malzahn era. Well, you, I mean, then then uh, what's his name? Stedham should be first. One hundred percent. We that's we ranked it that way. Okay. What about Marshall? Oh, we totally forgot about Nate Marshall. How did we forget about Nick Marshall? About, I guess I that was everyone. Yeah. Nick, Nick Marshall's Nick at the Marshall, top of that list. Right. So it should yeah. be Marshall, uh, Stidham. I guess if you want to, you could put Sean White in there somewhere, but I, at least three or four. I don't know. Bo, we don't know much enough, much enough about Bo yet. Sure. The real Bo, because he's just been running for his life for two years. So it's hard. It's hard for me to put that guy down when I know that he's a good quarterback and he's just he just needs a little bit of safety he feels scared every snap and i'd be running for my life too um, all fair points i'm yeah. with you i, I think i think the world right, the way it. that we rank it appreciate it shane thanks for hopping all on right. with us Bye-bye. uh i think the way i would rank it then i don't know how we forgot about nick marshall i guess that just like 2015 just completely blanked our memory but nick marshall at number one i think he i think he every bit has had a, had a great passing had a, had a great passing stint with auburn especially year two i thought he was fine stood him at two I would still put Sean White at three, Bo Nix at four. From what we've seen, five, Jeremy Johnson. You How talk, did we forget Nick Marshall? You talk about efficiency. Sean White had better quarterback ratings in both of his years compared to Bo Nix. He actually had a 20% more better quarterback rating than Bo Nix had this year, actually. Good gracious. 143 to 123.9. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back in just a few moments. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Oh yeah, what a show it has been so far. We are into hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. We got Jaws in the house with us on the show Hope everybody is having a good Monday afternoon. If you're just now joining us, you missed a doozy of a first hour. A lot of calls. We love it. Keep them coming. The phone number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. In that first hour, we talked a lot of Auburn football, baby. A lot of Auburn football. New commitment by the name of quarterback Holden. We're going with Jariner right now, maybe Gariner. Um, that's spelled G-E-R-I-N-E-R out of Savannah, Georgia, 2022 three-star quarterback committed to the Tigers before we got on the show. That led us into a lot of quarterback talk today, a lot of that, you know, at the heart of, you know, the quarterbacks of the Gus Malzahn tenure, and we were ranking those as we went on. We had some hot takes about Sean White. We got to talk a little bit about development of Brian Har- uh, development of players under Brian Harson in the future, what to expect for signing day. You got a packed show, and if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast if you ever miss a show you ever miss a segment you can go and find it once again wherever you get your podcast we're starting the second hour off now though with jeremy law of radio alabama sports jeremy how you doing today my man man what's going on guys i uh i got pushed back until three so i turned on the uh the radio and tried to figure out 
why I got pushed back, and I heard the uh, the guy named Trail. He did. Did y'all not almost die when he said we got a three star coach, and now he's landing three star recruits? I fell out of my chair. <laughs> well, hey, I'm here. Hey, did y'all I hear? It? Did y'all hear that? We did. Yeah. We did hear it. I understand it. I don't know if I'd go so far to say three star coach, but there definitely there's all there's only truth to the fact that three star players were being recruited. Um, well, Jeremy, I want to know then you're on the you're on the Alabama spectrum of things. What are your thoughts on on the first you know month or two of Brian Harson on the Plains? Uh, well, I mean, so you take over in a dead period, right? It's tough, and you're, you're you can't build any relationships. And this class was so bad when Gus left it. Um, it was going to be an uphill battle, no, no matter what. And um, I just, I saw the quarterback commit today. Uh, uh, you know, I hope you got somebody else on the roster. It does this first year for Brian Harson is a is a is a wash. Like you can't judge him by this. But if he goes, if he goes seven and five this year, and this recruiting class from this year hurts him next year, and he goes seven and five back to back years, man, which is a legitimate possibility right now. Um, that's going to be tough for Brian Harson to get over, but you know I'm, I'm not going to judge him by his first year. This Auburn team would know when we had our podcast. They've not recruited well on the offensive line over the last three years. They've lacked depth across the defensive line. They've recruited some good linebackers. Some of them have hit the transfer portal. I don't know. It's such as Auburn is in a. I feel like you they can. They're in a very critical point. I know you say this often. But it feels like they're in a very critical spot right now where. Okay, you moved on from what you had in Gus. You knew that you could get eight, maybe nine wins a year. And now you're at a point to where, oh, my goodness, this was so bad at the end of Gus's tenure from a recruiting standpoint that this could get downhill quick. And you just hope Brian Harson is one of those guys that can lead you out of it the same way Nick Saban was able to take Alabama out of the, the Mike Shuley years. Well, there's some Alabama basketball talk, though. You're our resident Alabama guy that we can get into now. Alabama had their 10-game losing streak, or winning streak, excuse me. Now they're on a losing streak. They had their 10-game winning streak snapped at the hands of Oklahoma, who has now won three games against top 10 teams in a row. So take that for what you will. But this Alabama team still in the top 10. What were your thoughts on Saturday's action? Uh, you know, listen, I thought Saturday was going to be tough because Oklahoma had just beaten Texas on the road. Um, but then, like five minutes before tip, you figure out they're out. They're missing their lead and score and another starter. So you start feeling like Alabama, although Herb is a little banged up, if he's out on the floor, you can't make an excuse that Herb Jones is banged up. I, you know, the, the loss doesn't hurt Alabama, guys. So let's let's take a step back. Alabama improves in the Ken Palm. I mean, like Alabama's still going to be fine. It's not a bad loss. You would have loved to have gotten a win, but – I think it's more Alabama has been on a a a three game stretch right here that resembles how they played basketball over the last ten years, and um, I think every week we talk about the recipe. These guys got to shoot forty plus percent from three, and they got to be able to rebound, not turn the ball over. And over the last three games, these guys have slept walk. And under Avery Johnson, don't get me wrong, and I got I, I fired off a tweet. No, I know you're going to ask me about it later, but. Under Avery Johnson, Nate Oates' floor is Avery Johnson's ceiling. So do not get this mistaken with what I'm about to say. But the way that they played over the last three games, it has felt very um, like out of sync, Avery Johnson-ish. And we know that Nate Oates is ten times better of a coach than Avery Johnson could ever think about being. He's got he's got a lot of talent. His system is built to be able to. You're never out of a game, and Alabama hasn't been out of a game all year. Nate Oates far better. Over the last three games, you've been out of sync. You've been sleepwalking. You're scoring less than 70 a game. You're shooting an average of 35% from the field, not from three-point land, from the field over the last three games. You're getting 16 turnovers per game. 
that's not a recipe for success. I think it tells you how good Alabama is on the defensive end, that they've been able to win two of those last three games, which they would have lost under Avery Johnson every single time. But now you're coming into a stretch against LSU and Missouri where you can't continue to sleepwalk. you got to learn from that loss and get back in it. Because this is a stretch of the season that every Alabama fan, they, they had PTSD thinking about the second half of SEC play for the last 15 years. You think, oh, second half of SEC play, this is when we play our worst basketball. And Alabama's got to get out of this funk that they're in right now. Get back to hot shooting. Get the effort up. Get the energy level up. Jordan Bruner's not coming back for another three or four weeks. So they got to figure out something. And if your offense is, if Jordan Bruner's your make or break right now, Alabama's going to be in a lot of trouble because it feels like they don't have anybody to Sharif Cooper it, if you will. Like, just, just make plays off the dribble, throw some stuff up on the rim, get it to go. We got a lot of shooters, and if they're hot, they're going to win every game that they play. There's, I think they can win a national title if they play five hot games down the stretch at the end of the year. But if they play like they've done over the last three weeks, Alabama fans are going to, uh, they're going to be very frustrated knowing how good this team could be and how they have played over the last three ball games. So two part question here. And and maybe the answer to these, you know, if it's not one, maybe it's the other. But two part question here. First part is, I don't know how much you remember this, but that first year that Bruce Pearl took Auburn to the NCAA tournament, Auburn fell apart at the end of the year. Horrible tournament performances, mm-hmm. got blown out by Clemson in the second round. Obviously, you're talking right now about Alabama being out of sync. Could that be something that happens to Alabama moving forward, or do you think they're going to play out of this stretch of games? I, I think that and Auburn plays the same type of ball, especially the year that they made their run to the Final Four, is that if you're hitting threes, you are going. You can win as many games as you want to win, right? And I, I don't think Alabama's a bad basketball team. I think a lot of people have overreacted to the loss against Oklahoma. Um, you're just in a funk right now, and basketball is a tournament sport. No, I know you guys know that. It's a tournament game. you got to get hot at the right time. Sometimes in basketball, a loss is good. I thought Nate Oates said it pretty well after the game. Our energy's low. And when you're, you're winning games by 20 and 30 points, it's, it's hard to coach your guys at practice. Basketball is a sport where you can lose and still be in championship contention, not like football. Like a lot of football teams you lose, uh, you're not going to be in the college football playoff. So see if they can get things together. But Alabama, is, I think they, they need to come out and they need to play well against LSU. They're going to get LSU at home, and then they're going to go to Missouri, right? They need, I think not that they need to win both of those. They need to split those. It's okay to lose to Missouri at Missouri. Listen, that's a tournament team. That's a, maybe a sweet 16 team, Missouri, depending on how they're playing down the stretch. Alabama needs to beat LSU, possibly beat Missouri, and just get things on the right track because you really don't want to hit that last four-game stretch of SEC play not playing your best basketball as you're trying to get ready and catapult yourself into the SEC tournament and then into the NCAA tournament. And I think Alabama's probably pretty much a lock right now. They should be a lock to win the SEC. Um, They're still undefeated in SEC play. Everything they want to do is still right there. They're still the best team in the SEC. They just haven't played like it, and they were still able to win two out of the last three games. I think that's really promising. So the second part of this question, and based off of what you just said, which is exactly what I thought you would say, Will Alabama does Alabama have the SEC regular season title locked up then? I mean, some things can happen. I mean, there are no guarantees, but I, I just don't see Nate Oates' teams. Nate Oates' teams have shot the three ball over the last couple of games like they did when they were losing to Western, Western Kentucky and really not as bad as they were shooting it when they lost to Clemson when they shot 13% from deep earlier in the year. But this is a team that is going to rely on the three ball, especially with Bruner out. They don't have a lot of guys that are going to create off the dribble. Primo, um, he's still finding himself. He's still one of the best players in the league. Jaden Shackelford. A lot of guys are running at the bucket. 
and we're getting out-rebounded. We're throwing up shots on the rim. We don't have a guy down there to protect on the defensive end at the rim right now. Um, I just think if they can shoot the three modestly, 39 to 43% from deep, like their, their season average, we're actually, I think, a little bit higher than that, especially in SEC play, they, they're going to be able to win the SEC hands down there. And listen, and I think that that Oklahoma game is a wake-up call. I don't think that people should re- overreact to the Oklahoma game, but I, I think it's a wake-up call for this team to know that there are still some teams in this league that can beat you that have as talented of rosters as, as we do. And then down the SEC tournament play, listen, you're going to, you've got Tennessee's, Kentucky's, you got Missouri's all over again. Auburn's playing great basketball right now. I know they won't be in the SEC tournament, but you play them at the end of the year. Hey, you still, you, Alabama needs to wake up and they need to get out of this little lull that they're in. And I think Nate Oates is a coach that's going to be able to do that where Avery Johnson never could. Avery Johnson could never get this team out awake after they played bad for a couple games and it usually got too bad before they woke up. I think Nate Oates is the guy who can flip this thing around and get this team ready to play two really tough games this week. Yeah, and and the genesis of that question, you look at the schedule for Alabama after these after this week. This is a tough week. They play LSU and Missouri. After yeah. this week, I don't see any losses. I mean, Alabama's playing the bottom of the barrel in the SEC until they play Auburn in March on like, you know, whatever it is, March 3rd or you know, it's that first week of March. So I I get the feeling that that the SEC is already wrapped up for Alabama if they, you know, can play only a little, you know, marginally better basketball, maybe they lose a game this week. I still don't see three losses on the schedule left for Alabama. I kind of, I kind of have a feeling it's wrapped up. But last question to you before we let you go: um, Signing day, Wednesday. What do you think about this upcoming class for the Alabama Crimson Tide and how it's going to shake out? Well, it's already, you know, if they can ink Kamar Wheaton, the running back, um, you know, some doors are opening back up to Oklahoma. If they can ink him. It'll be the best. It will. It will be the best class ever signed, and that's that's like Alabama just beating itself, kind of like they did the three point record a couple weeks ago. They just they just jump in themselves. You know, they're already they've already had that one. But if they can land Terry on Arnold, who's like the 25th overall pro player in 24 seven, but I think 112th overall composite, and then I think they have a legitimate shot to add Henry Tolatolo to this, a guy that should have gone to Alabama the first time. He put his trust in Jeremy Pruitt, and we see so many recruits do this often. They put their trust in one of these coaches that's selling them stuff that doesn't exist, and um, they get there, and then this happens, like what's happening at Tennessee. I think Alabama has a great chance to add Henry T um, to to their roster. They're going to have to make some room for him. They're going to have to be able to shake some things around. But you know, even if they don't land Terry on Arnold and they're able to la- land Henry Tolotoro, and he would be an instant day one starter and add a lot of and a lot more extra depth to that middle linebacking core that Alabama has. Man, uh, I, th- I think that'd be phenomenal. I think for most part, Alabama's pretty much done, and they um, they should all Alabama fans should praise Nick Saban for locking down this class uh, when he did. The early signing period was tough for Alabama. The first time it happened, the last couple of times Alabama's been able to lock down its recruiting class and get a lot of guys, which are already on campus, to ink their papers and commit and uh, make it official with Alabama. Jeremy, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on the show with us today. Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. At IMJ underscore law on Twitter, Auburn fans, don't follow me. You're going to hate me. Um, Alabama fans, you might hate me too. I've had a rough week. <laughs> the Avery Johnson question was pretty good. I mean, hey, you you back it up with with hardcore stats, so I, I, I'm here for it. I appreciate you, man. Thanks, guys. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. Of course, 
Make sure you follow and keep up with all the content we put out on Radio Alabama Sports. It, it, it's not just Alabama stuff. It's Auburn stuff as well and high school sports. It's got everything there for you. So whether you're an Auburn fan, you're an Alabama fan, whether you got high school sports, it's all there for you on RadioAlabamaSports.net or on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Radio Alabama Sports. You'll find it easy. I'll be able to find it. Uh, or I, I, put up a lot, I put up a lot of content on Radio Alabama Sports. I, for some reason, I said I'll be able to find it. Of course I can. I'm the, I'm the guy who puts some of the content up there. Duh. <laughs> but uh once again thank you to jeremy law of radio alabama sports joining us on the show again the number to call for everybody out there wanting to call in 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 the phone lines are once again open and before we head to break here a note on that alabama recruiting class and him saying it's the best ever class to have ever been signed you talk about hyperbole there but you look at the numbers here seven five stars 15 four stars four three stars an average rating of 94.93 26 commits it's number one overall nobody's passing it alabama number one there in recruiting more on the line on the other side of this break you are on the line with noah gardner and levi fitzwater we'll be right back Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl back on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're listening to On the Line. Number to call on the phones, 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Find the show wherever you get your podcast. A big thank you to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us on the line in our last segment. If you missed that, once again, go and check out the podcast follow espn 1067 on facebook and twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station on the line the drive with bill cameron analysis news and more that's all on espn 1067 find the website on espnau.com i want to revisit the conversation that keeps getting broken up today and i'm here for it people keep it coming keep the phone lines rolling that's a train that we want to keep going choo choo but i'm here for this conversation as well that you and i have been having we've been ranking auburn's quarterbacks during the gus malzahn tenure as far as passing ability is concerned not as not necessarily overall ability but we're talking about passing ability here and it's led us to a good conversation how we got here was because auburn you know gets a commitment from a 2022 quarterback today we talk about pro style a caller or two here and there and then bang we're in this conversation now about passing ability amongst Auburn quarterbacks that we've seen you know in the last eight years and Bo Nick still currently on that list because he played for Gus Malzahn still playing now for Auburn and we've kind of been comparing him on this hierarchy of quarterbacks you know where does he match up in terms of passing ability Shane makes great points that we had earlier uh call into the show saying you know that we don't have a full we don't have the full career yet for bonex the book's not closed on him it is on sean white but you had some other interesting stats that you dug up about sean white talk about sean white efficiency but first let's go through these rankings i'm gonna put nick marshall at number one in terms of passing ability that we saw in college this is about college this is not about the fact that nick marshall didn't make it to the nfl the guy still was able to chuck it around the yard. Let's just be real. The guy could throw it. He had over 300 yards in an iron ball. He could throw the football. Now, he was not efficient necessarily, and he was not, uh, you know, he's not the greatest passing quarterback to have ever walked through the doors at Auburn. You know, I think you're splitting hairs when you're talking about Jared Stidham and Nick Marshall. But if you're talking about uncorking it, being able to sling it around the yard, deep ball passer, Nick Marshall, he wasn't polished but he made some big plays with his arm as well as his legs and I think a lot of times people overlook 
his passing ability. I think he's probably the only quarterback we've seen get better under Gus Malzahn. Yeah, I'm looking at Nick Marshall's and Jarrett Stidham's stats right now. Actually, very, very similar. Marshall had 34 touchdowns, 13 picks. Stidham, in his career, had 36 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Had had about 1,000 more passing yards than Marshall, but that's to be expected given the offense that Auburn ran in 2013, 2014. What about completion percentage? That tells me a lot. This might budge me a little bit if this is skewed. Let's see. Marshall averaged a 60.2 completion percentage. Yeah, never mind. All, uh, Jarrett Stidham averaged a 63.6. Well, that's not that big percentage. of a difference. So, and I once saw Jarrett Stidham throw two interceptions to, t- to Tennessee defensive linemen. So that's, you know, that's what I remember a lot of times. But, and when you're looking at the receivers that both of these guys had, they both had guys that could really stretch the field and and really drop a bomb on you guys like Sammy Coates. Nick Marshall and, uh, had better receivers. Nick Marshall had better receivers, but I feel like Auburn did. Auburn also did pass the ball a lot more with Stidham. I feel like so. I I, I think I think that they're very comparable uh, statistically. Now, when you watch them on film, I would argue that Stidham is, is better mechanically. One hundred percent. He's say. more polished. That's why I said Marshall wasn't the most polished. But when we're when we're talking about like college football quarterbacks, you know, like. Who's more exciting? Obviously, Nick Marshall Nick was Marshall, the more 100%. fun player to watch, throwing or running the he ball. He was the better quarterback overall. Better quarterback overall, for sure. But if Are we're you talk- going with Stidham as better passer? If we're talking about raw passing ability, I think we got to give it to Jarrett Stidham. That's fine. I can budge there. All right, fine. Nick Marshall's two, three. I say Sean White, four, Bo Nix, five, Jeremy Johnson. I think that, I think that's about right. And take me it, through as, as people are going to object because we're going to remember Sean White worse because he played in 2015 when Auburn went to the Birmingham Bowl. Not his fault. It was a barren wasteland of talent that year. And then 2016 <laughs> was the barren wasteland of talent. Just happened to grow a little bit more. Uh, it, 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 it grew a little bit more grass, right? Like it wasn't just like dust bowl out there. It was there was at least the talent grew up a little bit, you know. But you look at Sean White's receivers. Sean White's best targets that he threw to were Ricardo Lewis, Marcus Davis, and Tony Stevens. It's not good. It's not good at all. Am I am I forgetting someone in sixteen? I guess Kyle Davis was there then. Was Ryan Davis at Auburn at that time? Yeah, twenty sixteen. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Like, it wasn't Ryan Davis of twenty seventeen. He was still wearing number eighty three, I believe. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, ninety catch Ryan Davis. No, no, no. And Auburn did actually get up to number eight in the polls and in twenty sixteen, I believe. But you if it know, wasn't for a broken arm. If it wasn't you know, for a broken arm from Sean White, they at we, least beat Georgia. Iron Bowl win. I don't know about that, but they at least beat Georgia. <laughs> I mean, they at least beat Georgia. They did. They do beat Georgia. Um, looking at Sean White and Bo Nix comparing, we're talking about efficiency. We had a caller say, "I feel like Bo Nix is the more efficient guy." Sean White had a better quarterback rating in both of his years than than Nix. Nix's best year, which was actually his freshman year, uh, Nix had a 125 rating in his freshman season. Sean Isn't that White- a made up stat though? A quarterback rating? <laughs> I'm missing. <laughs> uh, Sean White, in his second year, had a 143 rating. He had a 126 rating in his freshman season. With a with one touchdown and four picks, he managed to have a better quarterback rating than Bo Nix did in his second year. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking about guys that have developed, and we're talking about being a, becoming a better passer. You look at the numbers. Bo Nix regressed. Sean White progressed so if we didn't see Jarrett Stenham come and lead the 2017 offense you think about the breakout of carry on Johnson you think about how well that offense performed would we have seen Sean White 
taken an even further step. Again, we're, if we're going to theorize about, well, Bo Nix's career isn't exactly over. Let's see what could happen in the future. Well, what could have happened in the past? What could have happened with Sean White in that, in that offense in 2017? So I think there are a lot of different variables that you can throw into this situation. But if you're looking at numbers, just numbers alone, from these two seasons that both of these quarterbacks have, have, have had, statistically, Sean White's the better passer. And Bo Nix, there's actually been a larger sample size. Right. He's right. got over like 300 more attempts. I think you're looking at that right now. But 24, 24, to eight, 24 games compared to 18. Games. I do agree, though, with what Shane said, though, about how we don't think about Sean White that way. And we don't. That's why this is kind of a hot take when you're bringing it to the table and why people don't think about it. But if I had to, the reason why we bring up these two quarterbacks in the same conversation is I compare the passing ability of Bo Nix to that of Sean White more closely than I would Bo Nix to that of Jared Stidham. Right. I think that they're a little bit more closer together. I think there's probably a much larger gap when you're comparing, you know, former Auburn quarterbacks in these last like eight years. I think that what you've seen out of out of Bo Nix is more akin to what we saw out of Sean White. And that's not to say that Bo Nix isn't going to improve as a passer. And Bo Nix's rushing ability is substantially better than Sean White. Bo Nix sure. is a better overall quarterback, and there's still two more years after this for Bo Nix to torch the SEC and to end up you know becoming everything that Gus Malzahn saw him becoming you just couldn't get him there so I think they are they're all valid points you make valid points I think Shane made several valid points I I am uh I I love this discourse and talking talking about these things I love hypotheticals I really do I oftentimes have wondered what 2017 would look like if Sean White was the quarterback I don't think Auburn gets the SEC championship that year because I kind of wonder if Sean White could survive the whole season. I mean, injuries obviously were a concern for him every year he was on campus. He didn't even, you know, play in the Birmingham Bowl. So, like, I, I don't know if I think that he would have survived the whole he season. He did with play his... in the Birmingham Bowl. He fogged up a pick. <laughs> what? He did play in the Birmingham Bowl. He got to play like uh, he got to play a few snaps, and he did fog did fog up an interception on a deep ball. What does that even mean? fog up so it's like it's like in basketball you know when you're coming down the court on like a fast break and it's jared harper just going 90 miles an hour and then he stops right at the three-point line it's five on one he just chucks the three up that's called fogging it up whenever it's an ill-advised shot whenever it's an ill-advised deep ball like with sean light fogging a ball up whenever it's one-on-one coverage and it's obviously not a good idea or a good matchup that's that's fogging it up wow okay the more you know don't say that too many times fast (laughs) um you know (laughs) Sean White is a uh you know when you look back at him though he was a tough guy played hard he doesn't possess the same rushing ability and so I don't know if he would have and he's definitely if you're comparing you know him to Jared Stidham Jared Stidham won some of those close games in 2017 because he was able to um Jared Stidham won won some of those close games in 2017 because of his passing ability and he was hard-nosed too he fought hard as well I think as time went on he probably got a little bit more uh he felt a little bit more of that pressure from a poor offensive line than that you know that quarterbacks have felt over the years at Auburn. But Stidham definitely, you know, he had intangibles that Sean White did not possess that helped him win in seventeen. So I don't think if Sean White's in seventeen that he wins. You know, another hypothetical that I think of with some of these former Auburn quarterbacks is what Jeremy Johnson could have been if he didn't play on the two thousand fifteen Auburn team. Yep. Because everybody loved Jeremy Johnson after we saw him against Arkansas everybody did don't lie you you thought after the Arkansas game oh yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be great at Auburn the the future is bright that was like the foregone Auburn conclusion with Jeremy Johnson in 2014 was like this guy's going to be a beast because every time he was out there people saw him like oh this is gonna work out great 
Then he got to go and play on the team that had a barren wasteland of talent. What if like the Jeremy Johnson we saw got to like jump to, you know, 2014 to like the 2017 team of talent? Yeah. Like did the fact that he played behind that terrible team and with those terrible players, of course, he threw to the wrong team too much. I don't know what caused that, but I'm just curious what that would have looked like if he went from 2014 where there was talent around him to 2017 where there was also talent around him. What that would have looked like to see him play on that team. I love taking quarterbacks out of their situations and and putting them in different places, different time periods. Kind of wondering what that would what that would appear to be. You swap Peyton Barber with Carryon Johnson. You swap the offensive line. Give them better receivers. Give them receivers that can you know catch and stretch the field. Give I mean, him, Ricardo Lewis was a drop machine. Give him a better defense that'll actually give him more chances in games. You know, I think right. Jeremy would not have been spectacular, but I think he would have actually. He would have performed. Would have been horrendous. To he a, was horrendous to a to a degree. <laughs> he wouldn't he wouldn't have been horrible. You know, it was it was bad in fifteen, right? Right. And throwing too too many too many teams of the uh, of the opposite jersey color. But stay with us on the line. We got more of the show coming up in just a moment. Thirty minutes left in your Monday edition of On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl. Jaws with us in the studio today. And I'm enjoying the discourse today between Jaws and Shane, who's back on the line with us. Shane, what's on your mind? Uh, Thank you, thank you. Uh, Can you figure out a stat for me? Sure. Mr. Jaws, since you're... um you're the stat guy right now. What was the what was the offensive line like during Sean White's tenure versus the abysmal that is the offensive line this past two years? Do you real quick though? Do you mean that by like recruiting rankings, or do you just mean like offensive line stats? Like, what are we going for here? Well, what are we what are we basing uh, QB rating on? Sure, that's why I kind of joked and said, "Is that is that a fake stat?" <laughs> right, right, right. So, so my my point is, it didn't seem like that Sean Wright, Sean White, was as. Uh, it seemed like he was a little more settled in the pocket, or then he could run, but he seemed like he had a lot more protection, which leads to better completions, which leads to better stats. That that's my point is that he, that Sean White probably had a better team around him protecting him to make some even if the receivers maybe weren't as good as ours now but i think i'm pretty sure that the offensive line was because i i think i read something today that said we haven't recruited and received an offensive line one in like four years it was a tackle but uh yeah to your point about the offensive line um the, the sean white's offensive line if i'm remembering this correctly a, the the line ended up piecing together to become that senior laden line that Auburn just lost that has now given us this offensive line that's a bunch of freshmen <laughs> and, right. and, and underclassmen yeah. and so like Sean was in a similar situation of having a lot of youth and new players inserted into a new offensive line as Bo Nix has been this year not as much of Bo Nix last year like Bo Nix had the benefit last season of playing behind um, an experienced offensive line this one not as much Ooh. And so, what were some of the guys on that sixteen year? I would feel like that's back to Braden Smith times. Right. Uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other guys on that line. There was 
the jack of all trades, the guy that moved from uh, from center. To, I mean, the fact that I can't remember a yeah. lot of these names is a is a true right. Is a true exactly. testament. That, 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 right. That's that's what I'm getting at. Sean White's probably. I mean, he was a good. He was a good quarterback, but it, to me, watching every game, I didn't play. So I don't. I don't know. I can't. I can't say for sure. But just from watching every single snap to every single game, uh, it just appeared that he had a little bit more protection. And I could be completely wrong. It could be that Sean White, I mean, uh, Bo Nix, just as soon as he sees someone running at him, he freaks out, and, and, and maybe that's it. I don't, I don't know. It just seemed like the protection was better a few years ago than, than it has been this past two years. And, and I don't know. I can only get, contribute that to the, the offensive line because that is their job is to protect that one guy. Sure, and as you pointed anyway. out, though, already, you know, the counterpoint that you've already pointed out is, you know, Bo Nix, to make up for that, has had a little bit better of receivers. But I do have some other names on there. I think Prince Tegawanogo, you know, early on in his time was on that line. Austin Golson was on that line. Braden Smith. So some uh, some better names. Prince Tega wasn't, wasn't really a Prince Tega until right. the, the very end of his career. Exactly. So, I, you know, I think some of the line that, that Sean White played in, you know, I think they're cul- I, I, I think they're comparable uh, to a degree. I, I wouldn't say that the fifteen the fifteen Auburn team was pretty bad that Sean White had to play with, <laughs> and sixteen yeah. wasn't sixteen wasn't a ton better. It was just an older version of the fifteen team. So I kind of I, I I think we're splitting hairs on the O line, but the the completion yeah. percentage though, and, and the other thing we have to talk about here with Sean White, he took a lot of hits too. He did. I mean, that was a big reason why he kept getting hurt. So I think we are maybe splitting hairs here, and and it's not a knock on Knicks. I'm with you, Shane, on this one. I think Knicks will develop. It's probably one A, one B kind of thing. Yeah. And and I think Bo Knicks will develop. I think it's going to work out before this thing's all said and done. But we appreciate you calling back in. Yeah. How how about this? How about as of right now, uh, he has the edge on Bo Knicks. But but give him one more year under this guy's tutelage to see if he could be anything better than that. That's exactly 100%. what I would say. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Bo Nix is going to take off in this system. This is the this is the ideal system for his passing skill set. I, I, I hope they still use him right. as a rusher though. But I, I do think that he will take off under under this system. I love it though. Appreciate Thanks, you guys. calling We're back. Evil. That was Shane who was just now on the line with us. That. Number to call, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. Phone lines are open, but now it's time to welcome intern Sting onto On the Line for his Crunching the Numbers segment, Auburn basketball against Georgia Mar. We haven't even gotten to talk about the Baylor game at all. We'll get to that before we get out of here, but uh, Sting, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, Noah. It's a beautiful day outside, as you can tell. That's sarcasm. I like yeah. it. You know, it, it's been a pretty good day for a Monday, I think. So it's prototypical weather for the way people feel on a Monday. Take me through yeah. your numbers. What you got for me? All right. So we've got the Auburn Georgia series. Next edition is Tuesday. The series is actually pretty close. I didn't know how close the basketball series is. Uh, 89 to 93 in favor of Georgia, but Auburn has won six of the last seven meetings, going for seven of eight, of course, tomorrow. And we said that Alan Flanagan. Last week, we said that Auburn struggles when Alan Flanagan struggles. And I had to. I went back and looked at his shooting numbers since, of course, he had that amazing game against South Carolina where he had 24 points. He's 6 of 22 since that game against South Carolina. Makes sense. Yeah, I think 22 points. So so that was last week, essentially. He yeah, went 6 for course, 22. Auburn, yeah, Auburn did beat Missouri. Sure, it was better it was, competition. Was yeah, so that helps. And Georgia turns the ball over a lot. 
more. They actually turn it over more than Auburn does. I know we've been talking the last couple of weeks about how much Auburn turns the ball over. It's like 16.5 times a game. I think. And they, only turned it, they only turned it over once against Baylor in the second half. So Georgia, Georgia is a little bit closer to Auburn in that category then? Yeah. Or do you mean jo- turning over opposing teams? No, just uh, Georgia turns the ball over themselves 17.4 times per game. Okay. So that's more than Auburn. So it's impressive. Be a lot of back and forth. Yeah, it is pretty impressive. tough to do. It, pretty it tough is to tough do. to do. To be, to be fair, though, to Auburn, I think over the last several games, they have really brought their numbers down on that on that, that specific stat category. I was shocked to see after how the first half went because Auburn had like 10 turnovers in the first half. Uh, against Auburn had 10 turnovers in the first half against Baylor they only had four in the second half to, to have an average total of 13 13's fine 13's turnovers is not why Auburn lost the game to, to Baylor that's not at all why that occurred and Baylor's one of the best teams at turning over opposing teams in the country they turn over opposing teams for over 18 times a game so I, I thought what Auburn did against Baylor was uh, was pretty impressive with all things concerning you know who they were going up against. But now we're going to have to put a pause here on crunching the numbers. We'll revert back to it in a second. We got Brett on the line with us, another caller on the show. We love it. Keep bringing it. Brett, how you doing today? Doing good, guys. Uh, look, the thing about uh, Sean and Patrick Nix, there is no comparison in the offensive lines. Number one, uh, they had Braden Smith, Austin Golson, and Robert Left. Some might laugh at Robert Left, but he was very, very good his last year. Auburn did not have anybody this year that was even close to any of those three players on the offensive line this year. Not, not even close. So Sean White would have completed 35% if he had to play behind Auburn's offensive line. And if you want to talk about running attack, please remember, yes, Auburn had Tank Bixby, but five of the 11 games, well, only five of the 11 did he carry the ball 15 times or more. Sure. So you, you, you only had him for a few games. And then Auburn back in 16 had Petway. I'm still, I'm still yeah. not completely sold on everybody with the offensive line here, though, because, yes, they did have those names, but – we remember those names for like their final two years at Auburn, which was like sixteen and seventeen with like Braden Smith and like those guys were awesome. And, Golson and sixteen, Sean Smith, Sean White was the quarterback. Right, and, and he did, and he did do very. He that was his the year that he got better. You're you're hundred percent right. And Bo Nix hasn't had but, 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 the better. Yeah, but let's don't let's don't say he did real good because he didn't. Well, I think he, he did good for the he system. Just flat out he didn't. And plus, he had a better running game, a much better running game the whole year. Fair. Uh, the the thing that I would say about Petway and Carry On before Carry On hurt his ankle. Petway was the was the workhorse that year, and you're right. The running game in 2016 was more was more efficient for a longer period of time, considering because they had a better offensive line. I would say, yeah, better at run blocking. I don't know if I'd, I'm still sold on the pass blocking side well, of things because those guys were still super young. But times, Tell me how many times Sean White hit his third, strip, third step on a three-step uh, drop and had to throw it right immediately. Sure. Bo Nix, if he took a three-step drop, it, 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 the ball had better be coming out of his hand. I mean, th- there were six times a game where it was like a jailbreak. He, he had no protection. Auburn's offensive line this past year was the – I've been watching going up here since 69. This was the worst offensive line ever. It's horrible. It 69. is horrible. It is horrible. No, no. It, 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 worst ever. 
worst ever since 69. I can tell you that for sure. You'd, you'd say this offensive line was, was worse than the 2012 offensive line? Worse. The, the, this offensive line couldn't block anybody. I mean, the, awful. God awful. And, and please remember this also. <laughs> yeah, Sean White, come on. The, the guy, he, he had to have very good protection. He would have been sacked 10 times a game. He couldn't outrun me, and I'm 58 years old. He he took a lot of hits, and I, I don't think you're giving him enough credit for how fast he was, but we do have to remember, though, for Sean White in 15 and 16, he played hurt a lot. That's another part of it. I mean, the guy played in the in the Sugar Bowl with a broken what, arm. What, y- yeah, he did, and there's a reason for that. He, he couldn't move. I mean, if you're a dead duck, you're going to get hit. I think the other reason for it too, though, is the offensive line wasn't as. I, I, I just this is a weird vibe for me that a lot that so many people maybe I'm just misremembering, but so many people you know giving that offensive line back in sixteen and fifteen credit. I just know a lot of people. Uh, I remember those days, people hating on what Auburn had on the offensive side of the ball, and he didn't have a whole well, lot that, of. That, that's because at, at that time Auburn had an average offensive line, but they didn't have a god awful offensive line like they did this. Well, Brett, we're up. We're up against a break. We appreciate you calling in. Hey, don't be a stranger. We want to hear from you again. We appreciate it. We'll be back on the other side of this break on On the Line. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on ninety-eight point three FM and ESPN one hundred six seven. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl. We're wrapping up the last segment of today's show we appreciate all the phone calls all the support we love the discourse keep bringing the heat keep bringing it we love it once again the number to call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 our fingers have hit the keyboard and we've done some research in between the segments because we've had a couple calls now about offensive lines and comparing offensive lines of Sean White versus Bo Nix because that's been the big topic today's show comparing those two quarterbacks and their situations Lance so Sean White's tenure, Sean White was sacked 19 times in both 2015 and 2016. You've got the stats for Bo Nix, 2019 to 2020. What did the offensive line do? From 2019 to 2020, Bo Nix was sacked 20 times um, for a, hundred, a collective 101 yards, about 1.8 sacks per game. In 2016 with Sean White, Sean White was sacked 19 times for a collective 141 yard loss and that was about 1.5 sacks allowed per game so that's one more sack that this year's offensive line has given up compared to 2016 and I would argue that 2016's offensive line was not as great as we remember I believe like you've mentioned three or four times on the show today do you have 2019's line I can can 2019's line was much better 2019's line was a top 25 top 30 unit in college football and sacks allowed per game Auburn played 11 games this year and of course yes Bo Nix was running for his life a lot of times I'll, I'll, I will say that but Nix also developed phantom pressure and decided to leave the pocket a lot more than he needed to but even if you know this year's offensive line was much worse I, I would say this year's offensive line was horrible it was not good on a from a pass blocking perspective it was not good but I think it's a stretch to say a it was the worst offensive line to have ever played at Auburn and b it was you know that much worse than what Sean White was playing behind when he was at Auburn considering Sean White's offensive line gave up 38 sacks during his two years that he was playing 
and then Bo Nix is, has given up actually, you know, only, you know, marginally, you know, plus or minus, you know, four or five sacks more, which really isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. So when I look at this, and then you you take the receivers out of these situations, and Sean White was throwing to substantially worse wide receivers than what Bo Nix has been throwing to. Bo Nix had Eli Stove, Anthony Schwartz, Seth Williams. He had those guys with Sean White. He had Tony Stevens, Marcus Davis, Ricardo Lewis, Kyle Davis. I mean, come on. So, like, you compare the receivers, everybody's going to for sure give an edge to the receivers that Auburn has had recently. And I think the offensive line, you know, look, Bo Nix is is marginally worse. Fine. But last year's offensive line for Bo Nix, that was a good pass-protecting unit. Do you have the 2019 stats? I can't find what specifically um, – I'll how, go how grab many, it. How many st- sacks? Um, if you go to AuburnTigers.com, you can find it easy. I'm looking on Football Outsiders right now. Auburn's sack rate was 4.5% in 2019, and that was definitely top 20 in the country just looking at the teams listed here. They were technically collectively, I want to say – 26th or 25th in the country, 26th, 25th best offensive line in the country in 2019. So again, Bonix is not working with absolutely terrible offensive lines. Now this year's was bad in this terms of pass protection. But in terms of pass protection, I wouldn't say that it was like leaps and bounds worse than what Sha- uh, that what Sean White was dealing with. For sure, we have to like we remember the 2015 and 2016 O lines names because of how they finish. Braden Smith is playing in the NFL and he's a solid he's a solid tackle in the NFL right now. You look at you know some of the other names. Robert Left was brought up. You look at Austin Golson was on those lines. There were good players on those lines. Mike Horton was on one of those lines. Princeton Winogo developed. I mean, yes, the names on that line were much better, but they developed. You know, they like they those guys were not that good when they were freshmen and 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 sophomores. Do we remember in 2017 when those guys gave up 13 sacks to Clemson and we were all thinking that this is the worst offensive line we've ever seen? That offensive line gave up 13 sacks to Clemson. Let's remember that. Auburn so, gave up 18 sacks in 2019. The best out of the three numbers that we just listed, by the way. 100%. And so, like, Bo Nix's freshman year, good pass-protecting offensive line, enough to have two tackles drafted to the Philadelphia Eagles. 100%. I mean, uh, somebody was believing in those guys to go and play in the NFL. This year, I, I cannot debate anybody. This year's offensive line was not very good at pass protection. I thought run blocking, it was fine. Pass protection, not great. It's Of, of the four offensive lines that we're dissecting here, it was the worst at pass protection. So people do have it there, but I don't think it's that much worse. When you when you compare the stats, it's not like leaps and bounds worse than what Sean White was playing with. So like people trying to take, you know, and, and say that Sean White, you know, was playing in a better situation. Do we remember what fifteen and sixteen was like? Like those weren't good days. No, we should go back and watch some of those games. <laughs> like, 2015 was a pretty bad year. It was the worst year of the Gus Malzahn tenure. And then 2016, Sean White was playing with a break it, broken arm. Like, he had a broken arm. Like, he was not playing healthy for any of that, for, for the majority of that latter half of that season. And then Cameron Petway blew, at, blew out his wheels in the Vanderbilt game at the end of that season. I mean, Sean White was always playing an uphill battle, it felt like, when he was at Auburn. He pl- and he played hard. Now, I'm not saying Sean White's the better overall quarterback. Bo Nix is the better overall quarterback because of his rushing ability. But when we're talking about passing, passing ability right now, which is what the topic of the show has been, passing ability, I think Sean White's every bit as good as what Bo Nix has done right now. I, the, the whole point of our rankings list that we've said was – the whole point of our rankings list was passing ability. And we had Nick Marshall and Jarrett Stidham at the top – Jared Stidham was at the top and then Nick Marshall and then we said that 
Bo Nix and Sean White were closer together than Bo Nix to Jarrett Stidham in terms of passing ability. You're splitting hairs right there. You're 100% splitting hairs. But now we got Brett back on the line with us. Brett, how you doing, man? Guys, this is totally ridiculous. Sean White, you're talking about his, his sacks. Bo Nix has run away from more sacks than Sean White by, by probably four times. I mean, my God, how many times did he have four guys chasing him? But can we Sean quantify that, though? Because for, could, could, he, could Sean White have ever outrun four players on the defense? Sean White was – was you, you should go back Slow. and watch some of Sean White's oh, film. I mean, he was deceptively fella, I was fast. There, I was there if there were 13 games, which, by the way, remember he played 13 games that year versus 11 sure. Sure. this year. So, and we noted uh, that. So, so, so uh, And let's also remember – you say Petway. Petway had twelve hundred yards rushing. Kerryon Johnson had eight ninety five. Did Auburn have a second rusher this year? No. If, if 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 they did, please tell me who that guy was. No, because and you, you are making what? valid I, points about I, the running game, but let's talk about game. wide receivers. And, and they. Oh, oh, by the way, you talking about Elo Stokes? He caught twenty three balls that year. He was a better receiver then than he was this past year. What? He wasn't as I fast. completely disagree. With Eli that. Stove has developed from that well, year, from so his look, freshman look, year. You, you you actually are trying to compare sacks for Sean White and Pat Nick. Sean White would have been sacked. 40 times if he played behind this year's offensive line he couldn't run away from me well let me ask you a question brett uh before we got to go because we get literally have about 20 seconds left in the show so i need a yes or no here brett no i need i need a yes or no here because our 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 topic is it it, we we've been ranking these quarterbacks is bo nix closer to sean white or is bo nix closer to jared stidham and then we'll just have to agree to disagree on that one he's right behind stidham if you're talking about sean white Sean White. Is he closer, though? Is he closer? Could could Sean White have beaten Alabama in 2019 playing a quarterback? I think so. Bo Nix threw 100 yards. He threw 12 of 20 for 100 yards. Well, that'll do it for another edition of On the Line. Brett, we got to get off the line. Literally the top of the hour. We appreciate your call, though. We appreciate you hopping on with us. If you want to call back tomorrow, feel free. We'll be glad to talk to you, same as anybody else. Thank you again. We'll see you tomorrow. You know where to find us.